Eight days would have been uh, his circumcision. Then a little longer they would have taken him into the temple. So this is sometime after the birth of Christ. So it's a little bit past Christmas, and the account that we're looking at this morning uh, is a little bit after Christmas, and so are we, so I think it'll fit. I want to know, are you the type of person that has the ability to recognize spiritually when something significant is happening? Do you have a heart that is spiritual enough to recognize when something is being done by God, when God is moving, when God is working, maybe when he's trying to get your attention or mine, or maybe he wants you to do something and follow him in a certain area? Uh, Some people have the spiritual ability through the Spirit of God to recognize that, and other people just don't simply seem to hear him or know him or what they should do. Are you the type of person who recognizes the value of a spiritual encounter in in that particular encounter, whatever it is? There are today, we're going to meet two old people in Jerusalem that had that gift of recognizing the significance of what God was doing in a situation that they found themselves in. And what they saw on that day was the most valuable person that anyone would ever see. In fact, one of the people was waiting to die because God had promised him, you're not going to die before you see this valuable person that I'm going to bring into the world, who, by the way, is going to be able to save people from their sins. He is the Messiah, the King of Kings. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have that? Have, have you seen Jesus for who he really is? And if you have, what have you done with Jesus? Where is he in your life and what are you doing with him? Are you looking for him to do things in your life and move you in your life and take care of you in your life and get you to do ministry in your life? What decision have you made about the Christ child? What decision did you make that these older people already had in mind and they made in an instant when they finally saw that baby as his parents brought him into the temple that day. Um, I can't remember. I I tell some illustrations twice. I don't know if I've told this one here, so if I have, bear with me. But it it fits what I want to say. When I was younger, I worked at a place called White Stores, and it was a dry goods store. We had auto parts. We had everything in there. And one day, my boss was trying to get rid of a home light chainsaw that ran on, you know, two-stroke fuel. And it was a beautiful little chainsaw, and I thought, you know what? My dad, when he's going through the mountains, he likes to stop and get some dead wood and cut it up and bring it home for the stove once in a while. I thought, wouldn't it be nice instead of that tree saw if he had a nice little home light saw? And so I bought it for him because my boss gave me a great deal on it. And it was in its box. And I took it home and I presented it to him. It wasn't his birthday or Christmas or thing. I just said, Dad, I want you to have that. And I did have a habit when I was young of giving Dad a present when it wasn't really an occasion because like one time I was sick and tired of sanding wood on his wood projects, so I bought him a three-inch belt sander. And I, I couldn't wait to get that in his hand, so, so I wouldn't have to do this all day long, all right? So I bought him this tree saw, not that I was going to use it, but he put it in the box in his trunk of his company car, because that's where he drove all week up in the mountains all over. He, he took care of about four different states for Massey Ferguson as a finance manager. Well, he came home one time, and Dad was good about cleaning his car, so he wanted to clean uh, his, his trunk out. So he took the box, and over here we had, the family had our roll cart with two trash cans there. So in Westminster, you roll that out on the, on the street, you know, when it's trash day. And he just was cleaning. He just sat it there, and he went about cleaning and did all that. Well, he forgot to put it back in the trunk. So the next morning was trash day. My mom goes out to wheel the trash to the curb, and she sees the box, just assumes it's an empty box. He doesn't want to carry it anymore, and he hauls it down to the curb. And that's the last we saw of my dad's new chainsaw. 
It was still in the box. And I know trash people. Uh, the trash people in town can tell you what you throw away every, every week. Uh, they told me once what I had in my trash. I thought, huh, how much time do you people have? But uh, I'm sure somebody checked. I said, oh, that feels heavy, and it was brand new. And they didn't realize the value. My, my mom didn't and didn't think I ought to check that box. So we, we lost my gift to dad. You know, it wasn't that much money, maybe 150 bucks. But uh, for me as a kid, that was a lot of money. But it was gone. Just absolutely didn't recognize what it was and threw it away. Well, that gave me some interest because it's Christmas. And I have seen people that got something from somebody they want. It's a relative. They didn't like it. As soon as the relative leaves, uh, the next day, it goes in the trash, something brand new. I don't like it. I'm getting rid of it. I'm not even going to worry about it. And they throw it away. And so I wondered to myself, how many dollars worth of Christmas presents in America go into the trash after Christmas? And sometimes it doesn't even make it through Christmas Day. Somebody just throws it in the trash. And I looked it up online, and there's a place called Market Watch. The newest statistic they had was 2017. That's the best I could find. But in 2017, you don't have to answer out loud, uh, what your, would your guess be in terms of dollars in America as how much was thrown away after Christmas as far as Christmas gifts and things that people didn't know it was in the box and they accidentally threw it away? Well, I'm going to tell you. In 2017, Americans threw away $16 billion of gifts. I love those looks on your faces. You thought, I didn't even know people spent $16 billion on Christmas. Yeah, they do. They, they just threw it in the trash. And some of them knew they were throwing something away. Some of them didn't know. And the point is that Jesus Christ is the Christmas present of God that is worth more than any amount of money that's ever been spent in all the years of Christmas gift giving. In all the world, Jesus Christ is a present worth thinking about, worth taking a look into, worth having a relationship with. I was reminded of this uh, yesterday's devotional that in that book that we gave all of you that are a part of our church, uh, he quoted Max Lucado and he was talking about uh, this family went to pick up their Christmas and put it all away and baby Jesus was gone. Did you read that? Oh, don't raise your hands and make some of us feel guilty, all right? Uh, and, and they couldn't find the baby. Well, the dad finally finds the baby and uh, the baby was not in their little manger in their house. Somebody had taken it, and their little boy had taken it. And the whole idea was Christmas is over. Sometimes people put Jesus in the box till next year. That one will probably go in a box. But the question is, do you, do you put Jesus in a box when Christmas is over? Is he valuable to you, or do you keep him out? The little boy said, we're not putting him in the box. He's valuable. And what do we do with him? What he really is is the salvation from God to mankind, and he is the one who wants to save us from our sins. He is the one that God has been talking about since the creation of the world at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So if you're in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to uh, 38, we're going to meet a couple of people that recognize spiritual significance when they saw him and they saw Jesus. So I'm reading in, in Luke 2, verse 21. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, now on the eighth day, that would be normal for a Jewish boy to be circumcised. They're going to start taking care of stuff for him. His name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
And then there was some time that elapsed because the Bible tells us that a woman has to go to the temple and give sacrifice for purification from the flow of her blood in, in the birthing process. And that was uh, more days for a girl than it was for a boy in the Old Testament. But when those days for her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. All right, now that takes obedience on parents' part, right? We'll talk about that later. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, so this came, out, this came out of the Old Testament, first five books, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. In other words, God counts them as belonging to him. God counts them as uh, something that is special to him. And in order to redeem him so they can take him home and he can be their child, they have to do these certain things. Verse 24, and to offer sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous and devout man. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. Somebody would bring peace and joy and happiness to Israel. They knew that's what the Messiah was going to do. So he was looking for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit, so we know the Spirit was upon him, now the Spirit is leading him. He's giving in to the leading of the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of law, the Mosaic law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God, and said, and he said these words of prophecy. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That is the same as saying, my eyes have seen your Christ. My eyes have seen Jesus. Which of you have prepared, which you have prepared in the presence of all people? A light of the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, so this is by way of prophecy from him, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that Thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, and uh, I'm going to read her name the way it's written in the uh, Greek text, Hannah, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day, which is a, a merism meaning all the time, and with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him, that is Jesus, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. That's our text this morning. We want to go back and see what God has to teach us in, in these words. The first section is verses 21 to 24. And if you're following along in your bulletin, uh, the outline points there. This one is that God gave Jesus some very devout and godly parents who loved God. Jesus was raised by a couple 
who were very careful to do what God had said in the law of God that they should do for their children. The law of Moses was on their mind, and the law laid everything out. The boys would be circumcised on day eight, then after uh, days of purification, then you're going to go to the temple, and you're going to give a sacrifice for for the flow of blood that there was, and then you can join back into Israel's worship. So they did this. And in the text, we find them following that Mosaic law to the letter, circumcising Jesus, naming him what the angel of God said he should be named, Jesus, which means salvation. We talked about that uh, last time, I think. Mary sacrificing for her purification and sin offerings. And finally, paying the five shekel redemption price, which isn't mentioned in this particular text, for the firstborn of the family to be redeemed from the Lord. Joseph and Mary are then in the right place, doing the right thing with Jesus And Jesus is a part of what his parents are doing, obviously, because he couldn't stay home by himself, right? This would have been a common occurrence in the temple. It wasn't just that there was a certain day, because somebody has a birth on different days. They come after so many days for the purification. And so I'm sure that all the priests and all the Levites, Simeon and Hannah, they were all there, uh, and they would see people come in all the time, with their little firstborn children to do what God told them to do. And so this flow of people would be happening with the righteous among Israel a lot. And I want you to know that so that you don't think that, hey, nobody's been in here with a baby for months and months, and now here's a baby coming in. Everybody go over and see how cute he is. No, there's other babies that are probably there that same day. And these two know there's something different about this one. Yes, they're all cute, right? But there's something different about this one. And it's common, but this isn't common for them to go up and say what they did. Lots of cute kids and excited parents, I think, did it all the time. But this child is different than all the rest, totally different. Will anyone notice? And the answer is yes. Will the people who should have noticed notice? The answer is no. Chief priests were there, maybe the high priest, teachers of the law. Where were they? Why didn't they come up and say, this is the child He is the Christ. Why weren't they excited about it? Now, Hannah goes around telling people all about him. You would think they would just have mobbed the parents to see the Christ child. There's no record of that happening. Now, some people say Jesus was from a poor family. We really don't know that. Just because he was a carpenter and because of the sacrifice they did doesn't really mean that they had to be dirt poor. Joseph, his his human father, was a carpenter, and maybe they were middle class or even lower middle class. You know, they didn't divide it up like that, but uh, they were still opting for the sacrifice of those who didn't have much money. It doesn't mean that you have to do that uh, or you can't do that, depending on your money. You could have gone with another one or you could do this one. So it doesn't really tell us. Jesus, I want you to know, was not godlier because he came from a poor family. That's not the point of the text or point of him being the son of a carpenter. But he did come from a godly family. And that's what really counts. That's what's important to God. Families can be rich or poor. It doesn't matter to God because godly people can come out of both of them. But they are always rich in obedience if they're godly. God chooses some to be poor. God chooses others to be wealthy. But God doesn't care about that in the home. I mean, that has other issues with it. But what God cares about is it a godly family? That's what God cares about. And Jesus had a godly family. How do we know? 
because it's time to get circumcised. Eight days are up. Let's get that done. We call the oil. He, get, he takes care of that. And then we're going to go when it's time for Mary's purification. We're going to do the sacrifices. We're going to redeem our son. And everything's going to be done according to the law of God that he left them. So uh, I want to make this point, okay? So this is like an application before we get to the end. A godly family goes out of their way to obey God and all that is required of them. I think Joseph could have said, you know, Mary, you go ahead and go up to the temple and take care of him. Uh, I have to stay home. I got a table, you know, for the Wilsons I have to finish over here. Funny, I would choose Wilson. He's our, he's our teacher in uh, wood arts, isn't he? But I've got somebody named something over here, and they need a table. Need to get that finished. I promised I'd have it. None of that. It's time to go. They go. And they take Jesus with them. I think it's a godly thing for godly parents to worship God, to make the decision that I have something to offer you as a child, and I want to offer you an education in Jesus Christ. So we are going to go to Sunday school. We are going to go to church, whether, whether it's something you want to do or not, because I, as a parent, have something to offer you spiritually. I make you go to secular education. I'm going to make you go to godly education in a place where I trust they're talking about God and they're going to tell you the right things about God. That's my duty as a godly parent. I'm not going to say, well, if you want to go, fine, I'll drop you off and pick you up later. We never talk about it again. I'm not going to say, uh, as a godly parent, uh, you just make up your own mind about religion. There's all kinds in the world. Pick the one that you want. There's nothing godly about that. They followed the law of God and they did for Jesus what they were supposed to do, and they were right on time. Now verses 25 to 32. Simeon, we meet this old prophet in the temple, declares Jesus to be the Messiah, the Mashiach. All right? Yeshua Mashiach. Uh, Jesus the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And that means that he is the means of salvation for the entire world. So now we have this young boy. He's there getting done to him what they're supposed to be doing, the sacrifice, the payment of the shekels, five shekels, and all that stuff. We're getting it all done. And a prophet of God, who is known to be a prophet of God, every priest in the temple knows them. Every Levite knows him. I mean, I mean he and Hannah, they know all of them. And they know that they're godly people. And he has something to say that would just you would think would just you know, blow their sandals off if they would just stop and think about the fact that they just said, this is the Messiah. So I want you to please note the character of our first witness, Simeon, who is both righteous and devout, as it's written in the scripture. That means that he is pious. In other words, he, he lives a holy life, and he is committed to the faith uh, of, the, of the faith of Yahweh. And he was looking for the consolation of Israel. Here's a guy that lived every day longing to see the Christ child come. I have to see the Christ child, Lord, before I die. Would you grant me that favor? Would you give that gift to me? And God said, yes, you will not taste death until you see my Christ child. Right? It would be fun if God said to all of us, none of you in here will see death until you have the rapture of the church. That'd be exciting. That would also make us a little bit more excited about telling people about Jesus. This guy knew, I'm going to see the one that God is going to use to be the Messiah before I die. People should have taken notice to that because he's a godly man. And it says the Spirit of God was upon him. The Spirit moved him to go to the temple that day at a certain time, a certain hour, so he would run into the Messiah. 
This means God uh, had put the Holy Spirit on him to guide him, to influence him, to control him that day so that he was right there at the right time at the right place. I said, there's, there's people coming in with their, their kids all the time. So he can't be there for everyone. Looking at, oh, is this the one? Is that the one? Is this the one? No, the Spirit of God told him, and he went there, and he saw the Christ child. He was a man that was looking for the promised Messiah, which meant there would be a consolation in Israel, and the consolation is peace with God, eternal life, salvation. He was a man looking for that promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he was waiting, looking for Messiah. This word carries the idea of waiting with the idea of receiving. God told me I'm going to see it. I will see it. I believe God. He and Hannah were waiting by faith, trusting in God's promises and timing. And this is the mark of a true follower of God. This is a mark of somebody who is a godly person. We live with one eye on God and one eye on what we're doing because we expect God to be working, and I need to be working too in my secular job, in reaching people for Christ, wherever the Lord has me. In verse 26, the Holy Spirit indicated to him that he's not going to die before he actually sees the Messiah that Yahweh would send. He would literally see the promise of the ages, the promise made way back in Genesis 3.15. An exciting time. Verse 27, the Spirit led him into the temple, and the parents were about to bring uh, the child in to uh, do what they needed to do. And they're carrying him in that uh, temple so that they can meet those requirements. And this guy comes up and takes the child. And God's timing is perfect. And in this act of what seems to be happenstance but is planned by God is verifying who the Son of God is. So in verse 28, having seen the child, he took him into his arms and he gave thanks to God. Because this is God's child. This is a special, special child. The verses in 29 to 32, because in a Latin translation of this text out of the Greek, the Latin text here is known in the theology circles as the nunc dimittis. And that's how you would say in Latin, now you are permitting me to depart. So they call it that to just bring a commemoration of what Simeon said that day. God had kept his promise to this old prophet. He has personally witnessed the salvation of God. It is in the form of a child, the Savior of the world, the Messiah of God. Now Simeon says, I can go to my eternal home in peace because I finally see the salvation that God has brought. This salvation from Jesus, God had prepared for the entire world, all people. Jesus would be the focal point of all salvation for every person, Old Testament and New Testament. All people are saved by faith. None are saved by works. They weren't saved by sacrificing in the Old Testament. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sin stain on the human heart. Uh, the sacrifices didn't save anybody. What saved them was believing the word of God. And Abraham believed God, and God counted that to his, or reckoned that to his account as faith and forgiveness and salvation. Abraham was saved by faith before the law. How are we saved? We're saved by faith, the same thing. We take God at his word that Jesus did all these things and is all these things, and Abraham looked forward that God's going to send that child, and he would save the world. We're all saved by faith. No one was saved by works. All people are saved in the same way that are saved. The best and greatest Christmas present from God, and, it's, and it is free. 
and Simeon got to hold the most valuable person in history in his arms. It is the light of revelation of God for salvation to both the Gentiles, meaning the unbelievers, and he is the glory of Israel. Jew or Gentile, Jesus is the Savior God sent for you. There is no other. No one else can do that. So in verses 33 to 35, Jesus will bring division and pain as well as comfort and joy. Probably not what Mary wanted to hear when she was going into the temple, but it is said this way. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, pick her out personally, the mother. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus, if you will, is God's spiritual litmus test for humanity. Do you see the value of Jesus? Or to you, is he a fake and a fraud? To many people, Santa Claus is more important than Jesus. To many people, Santa Claus is more significant than Jesus. And that is absolutely not true. Joseph and Mary, who still haven't fully caught on, were amazed at what was being prophesied about this little baby boy. He said to Mary, Simeon did, Jesus is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel and assigned to be opposed. Now that's not all, you know, peaches and cream and happiness and joy. If somebody said that about your son or your daughter, that they're appointed for opposition and problems, you'd say, oh no, why? You know, well, they didn't know why yet fully. But those who believe in him will rise to glory. He said, depending on what you do with Jesus, you'll either rise or you'll fall. Those who believe in him are going to rise to the presence of God and to glory. But those who fall over him, those who trip, those who don't get it, those who don't understand, those who the Spirit of God has not let them see the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is, they will fall simply into the torments of eternal fire, eternal hell. And so that makes Jesus a big deal. If the entire world will either fall or rise based on their relationship to that one man. And he said some will oppose him in unbelief. Not everyone will be able to recognize his great value. So I ask again, are you one who can see something that is spiritually valuable and take a hold of it? In verse 35, he said, Mary... Your heart will be pierced with a sword. Interesting enough, the word for sword there is a sword that was known to be a broad sword, double-edged on its blade. Uh, that's going to hurt. And it did. And it will, it will pierce her soul as she sees the hatred of the enemy against her precious son. Over Jesus... The truth in every heart will be revealed. So the issue is, don't miss who he is. Don't reject him. Verses 36 to 38. God sends a devout woman to testify to the truth of who he is. There's also an elderly prophetess there who had dedicated her life since her husband died after just a few years of marriage to serving in the temple she did fasting and she did prayer. 
And she's going to witness to the truth of Jesus as well. Everybody in the temple knows Hannah. Everybody's seen her. Everybody knows what she's doing. You can't hardly talk to the woman because she's either praying or fasting or doing something like that. She's always serving God. Maybe when she speaks, we ought to listen. After only seven years of marriage, she's been alone except for a relationship with God, and she served him day and night, all the time in the temple. She declared then, she decided then to serve God after her husband died around the clock and never left the temple, and she was usually in the midst of spiritual disciplines, fasting and prayer. She is a godly woman dedicated to serving God. She is a faithful witness to the truth. At that very moment, and the writer writes it this way so you can see this can't be by accident. This has to be by the plan of God, just like we saw on every page in the book of Esther. At that very moment, she came up, gave thanks to God, and spoke of him, Jesus, notice, continually to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. The word looking for in Greek means to look for a coming, to look for him to be here. One would be right to think that these things did not go unnoticed in Jerusalem. People were hearing about this child everywhere she went. She was telling people. So I want to know, where are the religious leaders? How come the high priest didn't say, where is he? I've got to see this child. Where's the rest of the priests, the Levites, the scribes, the religious people? We don't hear of any gathering taking place of any significance from the religious leaders. You would think if they've been teaching about Messiah and then they've been saying he's, been, he's going to come someday, that when he finally came, everything would change. And almost nothing changed. And sometimes you tell people about, hey, right now you're headed for eternal fires of hell. But I want to love you today and I want to tell you how you can get to heaven. And they don't hear it. And they don't care. And they just go about their business. This is happening with Jesus. The majority of Israel's shepherds, if you can call them that, were actually wolves in sheep's clothing. And they didn't even recognize the Son of God. The majority of them didn't recognize him that day, and they didn't recognize him till the day they succeeded in hanging him on a cross. They didn't even recognize him when at age 12, Godly mom and dad brought him back to the temple because we're supposed to come for the feast, and he's there. They leave, and they can't find the kid. Where's Jesus? We thought he was with all the family that is leaving here. Can't find the kid anywhere. They go back to Jerusalem. Where is he? Sitting among, probably in the outside portico of the temple, sitting among the most learned, scholarly teachers of the word of God. And they said he was, he was asking amazing questions. His insight was almost beyond them. And they still didn't notice. The right response to Jesus is to welcome him, embrace him, accept the truth about him. And that is what the devout do. So what do you do when you see Jesus? What have you done? Jesus came to save us. From what will he save us? Well, from being condemned to hell. And yes, he does that, but salvation is so much more. Salvation starts the minute you trust Christ. It changes your life. And if you choose to follow God and obey God, uh, then, then he will be pleased with you. It doesn't mean everything's going to go right in your life, but it means that God is pleased with you. You're at peace with your creator. 
but it touches so many other areas. Salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the God-man. Jesus lived among us. He knew what pain was like. Uh, he, he knew what it was like to be a human being, yet without sin. And, and he can identify with what you're going through. He can identify with rejection, perhaps, if that's what you're going through, because Jesus was one of us. Salvation be freedom from sin's bondage and the penalty of wickedness, evil, hatred, blasphemy, fear, heartache, disease, strife, and even war if people would follow him. He will take care of the problem of greed, of pride, of Satan, of his demonic horde, of decay, and death. And there's so much more that Jesus does in our lives when we trust him as Savior. So if you want that, you must value Jesus as God has given him to be. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He died on a cross and shed his blood so that you and I could have eternal life. And if we don't trust in his death, burial, and resurrection for salvation, we don't have salvation. Praising God for Jesus is the right response to him. And the godly do it. God sent two godly witnesses for his son. And the book of Deuteronomy 19.15 says, where two or three witnesses are gathered, that 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 witness is reliable. It's to be depended upon. Uh, Dr. Bach said this about our two witnesses today, Simeon and Hannah. He said, the testimony to Jesus continues as both a prophet and prophetess reveal God's plan by showing how each gender among the people of God testifies to what God is doing through this child, meaning Jesus, Luke is saying that all should rejoice in his coming. And culturally, it is no accident that both Simeon and Hannah are advanced in years. Here is the testimony of two with a full resume of life experience in serving God. I don't remember what roller coaster it was, but I, I like roller coasters. I like to feel my stomach going up in my brains. And there's one, they, they run you out there and you climb this great big hill. And then uh, you're, you're trying to prepare for it because I'm going to be dropped off. And that's where I want to make sure I've prayed. And Lord, you know, I don't know who made this thing, but please let it stay on the tracks. Because you just go straight down and there's no stopping it. You ever been on one of those? You, well, you should. It's okay if you answer. I, I'm not going to hold it against you. Oh, you people need to get, thank you, Brian. We need to get other people out there. It's a thrill. You're going straight down. It's almost like you're flying. There's no stopping you. That's what sin does to us. They go through the roller coaster of life, and you get to that point where you're going straight down. Now, I'm locked into that. I made sure of that before we left the little roller coaster house. I double-checked that, that harness that comes over. I can't get out. And whatever happens to that roller coaster, I'm going with it. I can't get out. If something happens, I'm done. And sin is like that. We're all, we're all in this, this ride of life, and it has its ups and downs, but at the end of it, we're going to be headed straight for hell. And I don't care what you do, you can't get out of it. Once it goes over that, it's a done deal. And you need somebody who can reach out and catch you while you're falling and undo the locks and save you. And that's what Jesus can do. No one else can do it. I know that once that thing drops over that edge, I'm no longer connected to anything but the track. And tracks can be faulty, and I can't trust them. 
but Jesus in my life reaches into my, my ups and downs and he grabs me and he gives me eternal life because I put my faith in him. And that's really what I want to end with today. I don't have any other applications other than what we've already talked about, but in case there's somebody here that would say, you know, Pastor Greg, if you'd have asked me what I would tell Jesus if he said, why should I let you into heaven? I'd have told him my good works. I'd have told him I'm a good person. I obey. I do what I'm told. My parents would tell you that. I'm a good person. And then we would find out, God would say, I didn't ask you to do good works to get in here. I asked you to trust in the shed blood of my son, his death, burial, and resurrection, and that if you believe, I would give you eternal life. You tried to do it on your own. You thought somehow uh, when stuff goes bad on that downward slope of the roller coaster, you could take care of it. No, you couldn't. And I gave you my word, and, I, and you went to funerals, and you went to church on Christmas and Easter, and you heard about this, and you just denied it. So depart from me. I never had a relationship with you. But if it's not good works, what is it? It is, and what I'm going to say if Jesus asked me, why should I let you in here? Uh, why, I know he's not going to really ask me that because my name's written in the book of life. How did I get my name in the book of life? Well... When I was eight years old, my dad shared the good news with me that Jesus had paid for my sins. And if I'll put my faith in that, believe that he did that, his spirit would come and take up residence in me, and I would have salvation for free, the gift of eternal life that nobody could take away from me. All my sin, past, present, and future, would be forgiven. And at eight years old, you looked at quite a future of the possibility of sin, and he forgave it all. I can't do anything that will take it back. I can't do anything that'll, that'll make him so upset he'll take his salvation back. Now, he might discipline me and stuff like that, but he's not going to take my salvation. So I'm going to tell him, if he asks that question, I'm going to say to the Father, because I believed that what you said about your son is true. He is God. He paid for all my sins on the cross, and that you'd give me eternal life if I believed that. And that's the biblical answer. It's free. If you're working for it, you're heading down the wrong path. It's free to those who believe. If you haven't believed, I hope you will. And if you make that decision and you've never done it before, let me know. I have a little book I want to give you so you can study what the Word of God says very clearly about that so you know for sure. Let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, we just about have another Christmas season behind us. I just pray that this Christmas season, uh, because we put a lot of effort into it, to reaching people with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there have been those who have come to trust you as their Savior, who finally understood, I can't work my way in. I can't be good enough. All my righteousness before the throne of God is like filthy rags. All I have to do is believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and he did what he said he would do and that I can have life by believing in him. So I pray that they would trust you if they haven't. And for those of us who have, we are so thankful that your forgiveness covers us each and every day and will continue to do so until we are redeemed with you. It's in Jesus' precious name we thank you for that. Amen.